I'm still on things you thought were true. Things you thought were true. Um, and I want to deal, before I end this series, I want to deal with something that has uh, heavily impacted our society, our culture, and has caused what we would call a culture war. There's a culture war over it. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it moral? Is it not moral? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it valid or is it invalid? Is it biblical or is it not? And that is transgenderism. You are what you say you are. Is that true? Don't answer. Now, when I deal with something like this, I really appreciate, um, I would not want anybody who is struggling with this to feel like um, they were in any way being looked down on or disparaged or judged or whatever. Um, so if I say something right on that you really witness to, um, just remain like this because I don't want anybody to feel ganged up on or anything like that. See, what matters to me is truth. The truth of the Bible, truth of the word of God, because our society is being pummeled with this message. You've dealt with it. If you think you haven't dealt with it, I don't know what planet you're living on, but you have dealt with it at least in your mind. You've dealt with it. Is this true? Is it valid? What does God say about this? You, you may very well know somebody who deals with this. Somebody who is confused about their gender. Somebody who is in cross-dressing. Somebody who has gone transsexual. Uh, let, let me tell you something. We, as a church, have dealt with it. We've already had people come in who are living that life. And... I met them and more are coming and I hope you know that we're not in a bubble here right and I want anybody that's in that lifestyle that that is uh, dealing with this I want you to know you're welcome to come and sit and listen to the word of God any old time you're welcome but I do think amen but when it comes with me, when I'm dealing with an issue that is, I'm being told something is true, something is valid, then I'm going to immediately, you know me, I'm going to immediately go to the word of God. What does it say? What does it say? Because that's my pillar of truth. That's my ultimate truth. If the word of God agrees with it or doesn't agree with it, that's all I want to know. Okay. And the word of God will also tell me how to respond to it. So tonight we're going to deal with is it true that you are what you say you are? Can you be anything you say you want to be or you believe that you are? Is that true? Is that valid? And what about transgender? What about the whole issue? Some of you even dealt with it at work. I know there are corporations that have told employees, you must address a transgender person by their preferred pronouns not their pronouns by birth. And if you don't, you are fired. So are we dealing with it? Yes, we're dealing with it. It's everywhere. So what does the Bible say? We're going to see that tonight. We're going to look at it. Father, thank you for your word tonight. 
Thank you that your word is truth, as Jesus himself said, thy word is truth. Now, Lord, we want to not only know what the truth is, but we want to know how to respond to people who are caught up in this. How do we respond as people of God, as born-again Christians who are to reflect Christ? How do we respond to it? How do we deal with it? So, Lord, I just pray that tonight we'll have a rich time in your word, and we'll go out of here enlightened and ready to deal with this issue that is knocking on the door of every home and every church and every business in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad he's doing that and not me. Uh, You know, things like this, Did I lose it? Okay. The church has to deal with things like this because if we don't learn the truth, then we're going to be told something else by another source. Our teenagers need to hear this. Um, We all need to understand what we're dealing with, with this whole transgender movement that has come on like gangbusters. Really, think about it, in the last five years, as far as really strong, So we're going to look at the topic of transgenderism and the belief that you are what you say you are. Is it true that you are what you say you are? Is it true that whatever you identify as, that's what you legitimately are? Is that true? Well, I want to start by reading again out of Genesis 1, 26 to 27, because that's where we were last time when I was talking about, did Jesus say anything about gay marriage? And he did. And so we're going to read the same verses regarding this issue because, oh, this so matters. So we're going to go back to the beginning, to the dawn of time. And God creating man and woman. What did he say? It says in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us, that's plural, that's talking about the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Let us make man in our image, our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And it's true. All that God created beneath human beings, we have dominion over. Verse 27, so God, now track this carefully, God created who? Man, in his image. Now, can I be clear? That's not telling us that God looks like a man. I heard a very, very popular, well-known preacher say that God was around six foot two. No. And his image has nothing to do with a physical appearance because Jesus said God is a spirit. So he, he doesn't look like a man at all. He's a spirit. So what does it mean? It means we carry the characteristics of God. We can rationalize, we can think, we can deduce. We have feelings, we have compassion, we have a heart, uh, we have a sense of right and wrong. Uh, It's talking about the character attributes of God. Now, even though we're fallen, 
we still carry them. Though they are warped and skewed, we still carry them. But God doesn't look like a man, and he ain't six foot two. Okay. Look what it says. In the image of God, he created him, masculine, him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the transgender issue is not new to the human race. It's always been around. Uh, It is fairly new to the church. I've been pastoring a long time. I didn't have to deal with this 30 years ago. Oh, no. This was nowhere on the horizon. Nowhere. Nowhere. There have always been people who struggle with gender identity. They've always been around. But it's only in recent years that this issue has come to the fore in a big way. And so we've got to deal with it. What saith God? Now, since this is a struggle that real people deal with and they suffer over, and it also essentially contradicts what the Bible teaches about men and women, sex and gender, then we can't ignore it as the church. If the church can't speak to cultural issues, what good is it? If the salt loses its savor, where are you going to salt it? One of the things that the church is supposed to do is speak truth to culture. Can I say that again? The church is supposed to speak truth to culture. Or how are we salty? We're not supposed to look like them. We're not supposed to look like them. We're supposed to be unlike them. We're supposed to stand out. Candle on a lampstand, not under a bush. All right? I also think it's a good thing for people that are in the church who struggle with this issue, gender identity, to hear it addressed biblically and compassionately so that they don't feel like they're all alone in their struggle. There could very well easily be one or more people here tonight who struggle with this, gender identity. And you wonder, what does God say? I know what the culture says. I know what I hear you know, fire-breathing preachers say about it. But what does the Bible say? I want you to know I'm going to give you an answer tonight. It's a fact that we're going to be meeting more and more people who identify as transgender. There is no question about it. And we'll have people who identify as transgender walking into our church and sitting in these chairs. So... What is the truth on transgenderism and how are we as a church going to respond? Well, that's big. I could tell you stories of how we have responded as a church and people have been delivered and set free. I had, I got a phone call once. I'll quickly tell you this. I got a phone call out of the blue. Here's a person I've never met in my life, never heard their voice. It's a man. He's calling from Dallas. He's with a uh, another man. And he said, we've just left Metro Church. Now, Metro Church is the homosexual, the gay church in Dallas. Caters exclusively to homosexual, lesbian people. And here's what he said to me. He said, Jeff, we've been listening to you on the radio. And he said... We're really tired of parking lot sermons. And I said, what's that? I had to ask him. And he said, it means by the time you get to your car, you forget what you heard. And he said, would we be welcome if we came to your church? 
And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. What would Jesus say? Would he say, no, no, you're living a wicked lifestyle. No. Jesus ate with these people. So I said, sure. Okay, he came. Both of them came. Sat back there. I'm not meaning to point y'all out there, but they sat back there. (laughs) And after the service, came up and thanked me for the service. Now watch this. One went back to the life. The other one got right, gave his life to Christ. And I saw him one week ago at a funeral we, we did here. And this was 20, uh, 15 years ago. Here he is, and he's been living for the glory of the Lord, straight out of that lifestyle this whole time. Amen. But if I had said, no, you're not welcome, where would he be? So it matters how you respond. So how, how are we going to respond when they come? Because they're coming. Okay. We're going to deal with this issue in three stages. Here they are. First, what transgenderism is. What is it? What do you, what do you mean when you say transgender? Then we're going to look at what the Bible says. And then finally, we're going to look at how we should respond. So let me deal with these three things. One. Uh, let's understand transgenderism. What does, what are the terms? There's a lot of terms uh, involved with this topic, but I'm going to focus on the major ones. And I'm going to start with gender and sex, okay? Although we often use these terms interchangeably, here's what sex means. Technically, sex refers to your bodily, biological makeup what you were born as. While gender refers to the social aspects of being a man or a woman, in other words, how you view yourself and how you present yourself to the culture, to social gatherings, to others. So sex is, what am I born to be? Gender is, how do I view myself and how do I present myself? Are you with me? So, again, male and female correspond to your sex or your biological makeup. The doctor looks when you come out of the womb, and he announces, it's a boy or it's a girl. It's not rocket science. Okay? But the terms man and woman refer to how we express our sexuality as human beings. In other words, I might have been born a man, but am I presenting myself that way or do I present myself as another gender? You with me? That's why we use the terms male or female when talking about pets or other animals. You don't say, uh, you know, you don't say that uh, a male dog is a man. It's a male. But we, I think you get it. Being a man or a woman is the human expression of the bodily reality of being male or female. Okay? I'm a man. I love being a man. I don't want to be anything other than a man. My wife is a woman. I'm so thankful she's happy with that. All right? Now, the next two terms are gender identity and gender dysphoria. Now, this matters. 
Because this is what is going on out here. And there's all kinds of confusion swirling around it. These are two newer terms. And we're, so we're probably a little bit less familiar with them. Like if I said to you, what's gender dysphoria? Most of you are going to draw a blank. Here's gender identity. Let's deal with that first. Gender identity has to do with how a person perceives their own gender. It's not what I was born to be. It's how do I perceive myself? In other words, do you see yourself as a man or a woman, no matter what you were born to be? Do you see yourself as a man or do you see yourself as a woman? That's gender identity. Everyone has a gender identity. And for most of us, our gender identity matches up with our biological sex. Okay? If you are biologically male, you see yourself as a man. If you're biologically female, you see yourself as a woman. Again, this is not rocket science. This is biology 101. Now, there is a very wide spectrum of how men and women behave Okay, including things like that they like or they don't like. And you got to be real careful here that you don't lock somebody into a cultural stereotype. Let me give you an example. Not every man has to like football. All right? Any men in here don't like football? See? What's the matter with you? Be a man. <laughs> now, not every woman has to like cooking. Any women here don't like cooking? Amen. What's the matter with you? Okay. Okay. Those are stereotypes. Men should like football. Women should like cooking or sewing or whatever. But women can like football and men can cook. And there's nothing wrong with that. So you can't say, well, they're not doing manly things because they're not, you know, the man. They're not liking football. They don't watch the Super Bowl. Can I tell you the truth about me? I didn't watch the Super Bowl. Am I okay? Everybody say, you're still a man. But for a number of people, their gender identity, that is their feeling of whether they are a man or a woman, for whatever reason, does not match up with their biological sex. Born a man, I don't feel like a man. Born a woman, I don't feel like a woman. That's gender. That's gender perception. Now, when that mismatch occurs, they experience some, some form of gender dysphoria. Okay? It's an actual diagnosis defined as this. Here's the definition. A marked incongruence between one's experience or expressed gender and the gender they were born with. That's gender dysphoria. I'm born to be one thing, but I don't feel like that. I feel like something totally opposite. That's gender dysphoria. Okay? And it causes great distress on people that experience this. It can be common for a person, especially growing up, to sometimes wonder about their gender. But that doesn't mean you have gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is when you've got genuine, long-standing, at least six months or longer, of feeling like, I don't feel like what I'm born to be. I feel like something else. That's what's going on out there. Now that brings us to a final three terms. Transgender, transsexual, and intersex. Let's understand them. Remember, they're coming here. Transgender has to do with your identity. 
A transgender person is somebody who not only feels a sense of conflict between their biological sex and their gender, but they choose to identify their gender with the opposite sex. They choose to go there. I'm born this way, but I'm going to present that way. So, for example, a transgender, when we say the word transgender, what do we mean? A transgender man is a person who is born female but identifies as a man. A transgender woman is a person who is biologically male but identifies as a woman. So transgender has to do with identity. How do I choose to present myself to others, and what do I believe I really am? You've heard the phrase, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman locked in a man's body, or vice versa. So that's transgender. It's everywhere out there now. Our teenagers and even young children are being told, if you feel even the slightest sense that you're another gender, you let us know, and we will begin to address you with your chosen pronouns. So what's that's transgender. What's transsexual? That has to do with bodily transition. A person can be transgender, identifying as the opposite sex, and not make any physical changes to their body. But transsexual, they decide to go for medical help, medical inducement, to change their body all the way to surgery. And to be changed from one sex to another. It's being done to little children by doctors that took the Hippocratic Oath. This is the, this is the point of no return. There's no going back. So how they're doing this to seven, eight, nine-year-old, you tell me. To me, it's criminal. When a person undergoes surgical or some other medically induced changes with their body so they can resemble, look like someone of the opposite sex, that's transsexual. So that's way beyond transgender. Transgender I have a male body, but I'm going to dress like and act like and present myself as a woman or vice versa. But transsexual, take it further and make permanent changes. But I want to make a point here. Here's part of the confusion in our culture. Because they're being told in our culture, if that's the way you feel about yourself, you were born that way. But let me make a crucial point. Never can you change your biology from how you were born. You can't change it. Surgery can change your appearance, but it doesn't change your biological makeup. If you're born male, you can never get enough operations to make you female. No, it can't happen. All right? It's not going to happen. You can't do it. Each of us is born either male or female, with the rare exception of those who are born intersex. I want to talk about that in a minute. And, and we can never change our genetics. You can't. You're either born male with male XY chromosomes or female with XX chromosomes. That's unalterable. You can't go in and change your chromosomal makeup. 
Get all the work you want done. If you're born male, you're always going to be male. Deep down on the inside, in the way that you are configured, you're male. Vice versa. Then finally, there's intersex. Here's intersex. It's a very rare condition where a person is born with physical characteristics of both sexes. In most cases, when that happens, and it's very rare, the child is assigned a sex at birth, and they continue to live out their gender identity with what they were assigned. It's rare. Now, I've given these terms in the order of decreasing occurrence in society. For most people, their gender identity matches their biological sex. That's most people. For a smaller number of people, they feel a sense of dissonance between their gender identity and their biological sex. But for many of these, it is never a problem. But for some, it is. And they experience gender dysphoria. But that's way down the scale. And they choose to identify as transgender. And not all who identify as transgender, for sure, choose to bodily transition as transsexuals. Are you with me? I know you feel like you're in biology class, kind of you are, but this is what our culture is dealing with. And folks, it's wreaking havoc. It's wreaking havoc in schools, colleges, workplaces, stem to stern. This is wreaking havoc. So we've got to be clear on this. So having covered the basic terms, let's talk briefly about the various issues and consequences involved. What are the issues and consequences? As far as causes, how does this happen? Why is somebody born male and then they just are convinced they're female? How does this happen? The honest answer is we don't know for sure what does it. And I do believe it's relative to the case. But is it upbringing? I think upbringing can play a part. Is it wrong messaging to a child? There's no doubt in my mind that plays a part. Uh, is it insecurities? Is it evil influence? I think it's all of the above. But we don't know for sure. What we do know is that the God who made everybody, one of two sexes and genders, is not the author of confusion. Can I say that again? The God who made Everybody, one of two sexes and genders, one of two, there's not 70, there's not 100, there's two, and you got one of the two. That God is not the author of confusion and would never create a person to be something they're not. All right, as far as effects or consequences, here's the truth. People with gender dysphoria, I have conflict all the time, but what am I? What gender am I? Uh, there are much greater risks for suicide, depression, and anxiety disorders. And that's why they need the church to love them. Not reject them. Love them. Be truthful, but love them. Uh, it's true even for those who choose bodily transition. Listen to this. Ryan T. Anderson wrote a report on this. He says, these problems, uh, suicidal depression, anxiety disorders, all of that... These problems do not seem to be alleviated much by sex reassignment procedures. In other words, going the whole nine yards and getting your body changed does not relieve you 
of the depression and the confusion and the anxiety disorders. The poor outcomes can't be blamed on a hostile or bigoted society either, or church either, since they're reported even in the cultures most accepting of people who identify as transgender. So if people who are struggling with these issues have these negative outcomes in their lives, as Christians who care for people and who love our neighbors as we love ourselves, that should be important to us, right? I mean, we all had all kinds of weird hang-ups when we came to Christ, right? Am I alone? How many of you were just looked sterling? You had a great life before you came to Christ. You, you were just this side of perfect, right? We all had our stuff, right? We all have our baggage. We all have our wounds, and we all have our brokenness, Right? And, and somebody loved us, and, and that ultimately, Christ loved us. And thank God he loved me. Thank God he loved you. Because if he hadn't loved me and hadn't loved you, we wouldn't be here tonight. Amen? Amen. But what about you are what you say you are? Is that true? You know, it wasn't too long ago when you filled out your Facebook profile. It wasn't too long ago. Some of you can remember. Facebook would ask you for your gender. Facebook gave you two choices, male or female. Can you believe that? Used to, Facebook gave you two choices. What was wrong with Zuckerberg? He gave you two choices, male or female. Then they created another category called other, where you could choose, get this, from 70 different options. 70. Let me give you a few. Bigender, transgender androgynous, transsexual, and you can go through a list of 70. And you know what? None of them are valid, but two. Boy, girl, male, female, anything else you're making up. It's not real. You can feel a certain way, but it's not scientifically possible or real. It's real to you, But if I was in that struggling with it, I would want somebody to tell me, hey, I know you're struggling with this, but the good news is it's not real. That is, it's not a real condition from which you have no deliverance. To add to the confusion with Facebook, the options kept changing and the numbers kept growing. So they eventually changed it to male, female, or custom. Under custom, you can write down anything you want. You've got a custom design gender option. Custom design it. Think about that, would you, with me for a minute? A custom design gender. So just sit down and figure one up. Take the 70 or the 100 and mix and match and see if you can come up with a new one. There's a new one all the time. But ladies and gentlemen, and I say this in love, that's not God. God is not the author of confusion, and if anything is confusing, can you imagine sitting a little uh, 12-year-old down or a 10-year-old and say, okay, here's your 100 options. Pick a gender. What do you most feel like? My goodness. Interestingly, there's a video on YouTube with millions of views, millions, where a white male interviewer who is 5 feet 9 inches in height goes around interviewing people on a college campus. Well, there's a great place to go these days. First, he asks them, 
how they would respond if he told them he was a woman. Now remember, he's 5'9", a white male. What would you think if I told you, he's got a microphone, he's asking them, what would you think if I told you I was a woman? Most of them on college campuses reply, sure, whatever you want is great with me. Then he asked them, what if I told you I was Chinese? Once again, they say, sure, if you feel like you're Chinese, that's great. You be Chinese. Is that, I'm sorry, C-R-A-Z-Y? Is that detached from reality? But sure, if you say you're Chinese, that's what you are. Then he says to them, what if I told you I was six foot five? Here he's five nine looking at him. What if I told you I was six foot five? At this point, some of them say, nah. And he asked them, why not? They reply, because you're not six foot five. You're just not. Really? Have we touched down in reality now? Earth to whoever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're not six foot five. But he responds, well, so can I be a Chinese woman? So I can be a Chinese woman, but I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. And they respond, yes, that's right. What gave them the authority to pick and choose? You can be, you can be Chinese if you want to. And, and I'll go with you on that. But you can't be six foot five in Chinese. Where do they get the line of demarcation? Because they're looking at what is impossible. If you're five foot nine, it is impossible in reality for you to be six foot five. The point is, if I'm born male, it is impossible for me to be female. And predictably, some of those on the college campus were just fine with him being six foot five. Oh, yeah, you're six foot five. And then they went and smoked their joints or whatever. I'm sorry. I had to study for this. This was not easy. All right. Because I go, what has happened to our ability to rationally think? Okay. It wasn't too long ago that a person insisting they were something they weren't. Napoleon, some kind of animal, a superhero. I'm Superman. Thought I'd let you know. They would have been taken directly to an institution for help. Yet our culture, genuinely, is not only validating people who say there's something they're not, but celebrating it, but even further, threatening those who won't celebrate it with consequences that are negative. Losing your job, losing your school, losing whatever. If you don't agree with something that simply can't be true. So here's the thing. Who gets to decide who you are? Well, we know who gets to decide who we are. Let's turn to the Bible. What does the Bible say? There's four things in God's word we need to see. First, let me do them quickly. God created us male and female. So God gets to tell us who we are. Can I just tell you again? God gets to tell us who we are. And you know what? I want God telling me who I am. How many of you have ever needed God to tell you who you are? Right? He defines us. That's the first thing Jesus did with people. He calls Peter and Andrew to leave their fishing career and follow him. And he he made this promise. Follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. 
So he started defining them right off the bat. Jesus did. He told them who they were. Hitherto you have caught fish, now you're going to catch men. That's who you are. What does the Bible tell us? You are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, called out people. You are, you are, you are. Jesus, you're you're the light of the world. You are. You're the salt of the earth. You are. He defines us. So I want God to define me because he made me, right? Yeah. So God can tell us who we are. The God said, let us make man in our image and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. As we noted last time, the terms male and female, catch this carefully. They're not amb- ambiguous. They're not open to change or redefining. In the Hebrew language, the word for female is isha. Isha. And the term for male is ish. Isha being taken from male, taken from the man. Ish and Isha, they are distinctly sex and gender specific. And there are only two. He created them male and female and 70 others. No, male and female. God can tell you who you are. And if I'm wanting to get delivered from that lifestyle and and I need help, First thing I want to know is how does God define me? Because he made me. And how he defines me is what I want to be. Furthermore, he created the Ish and Isha to be together in marriage. Moses further writes, this is why a man. What's the why? He made them male and female. So why do you do it? This is why. That a man would leave his father and mother be united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, if you're single, hang on. Your life's not over yet. The final chapter is not written, but I'm just telling you the original blueprint. Why did he make male and female? This is why. Our Lord Jesus thoroughly validated Moses' words by quoting them in Matthew 19, 4 and 6. He said, in a nutshell, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, Ish and Ishah? And God said that what he created was good. Everybody say, it is good. You need to look in the mirror and say, it is good. So the Bible's crystal clear about this. We're created male and female. And let me go a little further here and get into a little more trouble while I'm already getting in trouble. Uh, This is why the Old Testament forbids cross-dressing. Do you know that? We read in Deuteronomy, quote, A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Deuteronomy 22.5. Why would he say that? Because what you were born with you're, is a calling. If you're a, a male, you're called of God to be a male. And so you're to live out that calling. If you're born a woman, you're called by God to be a woman because you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God made you in your mother's womb. The Bible is very clear in the Psalms. He fashioned you and made you. So the gender you were born with is your calling. So we're to live that out in life. 
It's interesting to know, just in case you're going, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor Jeff. No, it's also New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2. Let me quickly read to you. 1 Corinthians 11, 14. Does not common sense itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Now, any man in here that has long hair, don't take this personally. Mine was way down here when I got saved. And when I first started teaching the Bible, it was way down here. Um, he's making a point. So stay with the principle. But if a woman has long hair, it's her ornament and glory. For her long hair is given to her as a covering. What's he saying? He's making a clear distinction between the genders and how they should present themselves in society according to their given sex. He's essentially saying, if you're a woman, be a woman. If you're a man, be a man. All the men say, oof, oof. And all you women say, that's so sweet. Say, I received my calling. And you men, I receive my calling. Second, First Timothy 2, he says, I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear. Now, he's dealing with how you dress. He, they should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Now, he's not condemning having nice clothes. He's saying the clothes don't make the woman. Character does. Amen, amen, amen. There's nothing more attractive than an attractive woman who dresses classy but not trashy. Boy, amen, hallelujah. Okay. The way some of you guys dress sometimes, I need to talk to you about the way you go to Walmart and all of that. I've seen people walking around Walmart. Did you just crawl out of bed? What are you doing here? You're still in here. Okay. So the New Testament addresses these things too. You're a woman, be a woman. You're a man, be a man. He, so... Jesus affirmed also, it's interesting, that some people are born intersex with dual or ambiguous sex organs. In Matthew 19, 11, and 12, Jesus talks about eunuchs and says, some are eunuchs because they were born that way. They were what? Okay, that's intersex. It's rare, but it happens. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. People were very familiar with eunuchs in Jesus' day. The Romans called those who were born with sexual ambiguity eunuchs by nature. The Jews called them eunuchs of the sun, since they were discovered to be eunuchs at the moment the sun shone upon them. That's what they called them. Jesus called them eunuchs who were born that way. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I'm going to close with this, and I'm going to have to pick up and finish the rest of it next time. But you might be wondering, Jeff, why... How can this be since God created everything good? Why is there all this confusion? Why is there all of this? Why some people born that way, that is intersex? Why, why all this? And I'm going to give you the answer, then I'm going to close. Because everything, my dear beloved church, was distorted by the fall. Everything. 
We read in Romans 8, 20 and 21, for the creation was subjected. What was subjected to futility and frustration? The creation, the whole thing, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hoped that the creation itself will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So when you and I get raptured and Jesus wraps this whole thing up, nature itself is going to be delivered. When humanity fell into sin, it brought disorder into God's perfect creation on every level. And part of this disorder is physical. For example, when people are born intersex, it wasn't God's original plan. And part of this disorder is also psychological. For example, when people feel their gender doesn't match their sex, that's brokenness. That's not something that God originally wanted anybody to go through. Here's a fact, and I'm closing. If there had been no fall, there would be no intersexual conditions and there would be no gender dysphoria and no confusion about gender if man hadn't fallen. There would be no disorder in creation. There would be no mismatch in people's minds between their sense of gender and their bodily sex. The good news is one day he's going to restore everything. I'm going to read this verse and we'll stand. But I am going to, I think I'll take a couple of questions. So if you've got a question for me, I have a feeling I'm going to get some. Feel free to ask them. Get ready. All right. Here's what we read. The whole creation has been groaning. Romans 8, 22. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth <clears throat> right up to the present time. Everything in nature is groaning under the futility and decay that came from sin. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we inwardly groan as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, creation itself is going to be delivered so that in the millennium, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. No more, no more hostility between species. No more decay. No more animosity. No more uh, carnivorous activity. No. Lions will eat straw. It's all going to end. Creation's going to be delivered when you and I are. But right now, all of us are saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. Even creation, and however they do it, come Lord Jesus. Because they want to be delivered like we want to be delivered. I've given you a whole lot tonight. And how many of you can say, I'm going to process all this? All right? But this is our world. This is what we're dealing with. Let me take a couple of questions. Okay, Vance, way back there. Yes. Yes, uh Recently, my wife and I went to uh, the West Coast to visit a family member, mm -hmm. and uh, she's decided to pursue the alternate lifestyle. Right. So my question is, how do you know when to say, hey, you know, you're all, this is a mess. You shouldn't be doing this, or do I just totally avoid it and just, you know, go along with it? Well, I wouldn't go along with it. One, now I have to know, are they, do they claim to be Christian or not? 
Uh, I think she was brought up a Christian, but I, I'm pretty sure she would say she's not a Christian. She would say she's not. I would say she's. She would say she's not a Christian. Yes. Okay. I'm pretty sure she would say that. Somebody that says I'm not a Christian, then you're dealing with trying to lead them to Christ. In that life, I don't go to them and say you're living wrong. Uh, you know, get right, uh, come to Christ. You're doing it backward. You don't clean a fish before you catch it. You catch it, and then you clean it. God has to catch them. Somebody could tell me all day long back in my life before I was a Christian, you're living a sinful life, and I would have laughed at them. But once I was caught by Christ, change happened radically. If they're a Christian, then I think you can approach them with biblical truth in a loving, uh, humble, but direct manner. Uh, because they know the word. They know, they say they know Christ. So since they claim that, then you have, I think, grounds to approach them with biblical truth. Say, wait a minute, let, let's talk about this. Do you mind if we talk about this? And, and the only way anybody's ever going to be changed is the word. Okay? With a right attitude. It's got to be a right attitude. That's the only way. So that'd be my answer to that. So I would try to win her to Christ. Yes. Yes, I'm going to flip this a little bit. Um, how do you tell women who are single parents raising kids to not operate in masculine energy, meaning they have to take on both roles? And once they take on both roles and they decide that they want to get married, they struggle with letting go of both sides. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you're talking about single parenting here. And uh, that's another topic, um, but I will say, first of all, is that you? No, but it is. It has something to do with the breaking up of the family. Okay, I admire anybody who's carrying both roles because um, it's hard, uh, and, and they have my my prayer and my admiration. But the scriptures will tell anybody who says they're a Christian. Again, I'm assuming they're a Christian. Mm -hmm. If they say they are, the scriptures are clear that if they marry, their role changes. Uh, or at least part of their role changes. Not the mother role, but the man of the house role changes. But they struggle with that because been, they have been doing that male role like forever. And it's, it's yeah. not, it's a lot of women that suffers with yeah. that. It would take relearning. It would take relearning, readjusting, and um, it, it's not going to be easy. But that's one of those things where you've got to be renewed in your thinking and say, okay, the, you know, the context has changed. I got to let the man lead now. And um, so that's the way it is. And, and uh, you know, it's going to be hit and miss and success and failure. But more and more, I would think they can adapt and adopt once they've gone on for a while in that. But yeah, it'll take some time. My mother divorced in 69, 1969, never remarried. And I said, why didn't you ever remarry? She said, because I'd kill him or he'd probably kill me. In other words, she said, I'm so used to being independent. I don't want to be anything else other than that. And, and so she was honest. So she never has remarried and she's happy as a bug in a rug. All right. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Um, I had this discussion with my kids not too long ago. Would you discuss the question about um, church membership 
for somebody living transgender or a homosexual lifestyle? Okay. Church membership, we have in our um, growth track, um, they sign something at the end saying they agree with what we have taught. And uh, so if they're living that lifestyle and they go through growth track, they're going to hit turbulence. They're going to hit rough waters and they're going to have questions because in the growth track, it's going to become very clear that while we can love the person, and we do, um, we don't go with the sinful lifestyle. Here's the way I view it. If they want to become a member and they say, I have same-sex attraction, I, I can't get away, I just do, then here's the dividing line. Are you acting out? Are you living it? If you're living it, we need to have a talk because the church is the church. Now, it would be the same if I were to learn that somebody in the church was, was in active adultery. Um, I would approach them and, and, and try to talk to them and say, hey, this isn't going to fly. It's not just the homosexual trans issue. There's, there's all kinds of sexual sins. Bestiality, pedophilia, adultery, fornication, all kinds. And, and, and so uh, all of them, if I were to find out that it's somebody that says I'm a member of Turning Point, but they're acting out in that life, then they're, they're destroying themselves. So as a caring, responsible shepherd, I'm either going to have myself or one of our elders deal with it and try to bring them to a place of repentance. But if they say I'm not acting out, like the man who I saw uh, last week, who I haven't seen in years, he's not married. He's never married. But he's lived a dedicated celibate life dedicated to Christ like a single person. A single person deals with all kinds of sexual attraction and urges. And, you know, one preacher said the urge to merge. I mean, it's just, they deal with it. Especially young, the chromosomes and the hormones are raging. But what does God call them to do? You walk pure. You live pure before God. You dedicate your life to God because fornication is forbidden. Flee it like you're in terror of it. That's what it says. I didn't say it. He said it. Okay? Now, if we find out that a young person is living in you know, active fornication, I know Jonathan, he's going to sit him down and say, hey, we need to talk about this. This is ruining. This is hurting you because the Bible is very clear. They sin against their own body. So to help them, not condemn them, but to help them, we're going to address it. So somebody wanted to be a church member, and they come to me and they say, hey, you know, this teaching, I don't know if I can go with it. And I say, well, if you can't go with it, then you can't sign the growth track and become a member. But if you tell me I'm living celibate like a single person would or anyone else that's not married, I'm living celibate, then okay. And that's my line in the sand. And I think that's God's line in the sand. No, no. If it was a sin to be tempted, none of us could come into this sanctuary. 
right? We'd all be in big trouble. So, all right, is there one more? Any more? All right, let's stand up together, everybody. Thank you for your patience. How many of you are glad we went into this, even though it was... Okay, I know. Uh, Let's lift our hands to the Lord and just thank God. Lord, we just thank you. Help us to love those who are caught up in this uh, particular snare, struggle, battle. And help us, Lord, to walk in love, but also to walk in truth in a solid balance. And we pray that, Lord, you'll have mercy on those that maybe are even in our own church struggling with this. Help them. Thank you for planting us on solid ground. Thank you for your truth, Lord. Your word is miracle soap. Thank you for washing us and cleansing us by the word tonight. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name.